Uh, this is Martin Scorsese and... Uh... Ooh, mommy. This shot was problematic. <laughs> yeah, boy, we're in trouble now. And that's the way it came out. It was really nice. On this day, I remember it was a breaking point with me. Of course it's not true. Wait, <laughs> 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 so yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> it was one of the great all-time people. <laughs> I broke them all there, didn't I? Especially clenched. <laughs> you know, occasionally in art you get lucky. A little device that was in my nose, I put on uh, the, the chocolate, gave it to the rat, and the rat is now running around with that device. Yeah. Time flies when I'm with you guys. I hope that everyone enjoys listening to people talking about something that they shouldn't be talking about. Welcome yeah. to Director's Commentary. I am Eugene Kotlyrenko, the host of this cast, this program, and we have a very special guest. Um, a director that I'm a big fan of who just had a film premiere at Cannes in a certain regard. His name is Christopher Borgley. And uh, Chris will be coming on shortly and we will discuss um, his films, his career, movies in general, um, anything Chris wants to touch on. I told him this is a free for all, that this podcast is no holds barred that there are, uh, that in fact, it's not even a podcast. It is merely a cast and it is a merely an opportunity to dig deep about the things that matter. And Chris is here. So let us admit him into the Zoom. Yo, I'm Chris here. Chris is here. Hello. Wow. Welcome to Director's Commentary. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. I, uh, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time. And then... Wow, when I saw your film at Cannes, now that was really something. Hey, look at that. Yeah, you something to talk about. For the people who don't uh, watch the show but merely listen, can you describe the mug you're drinking your tea or coffee out of? Um, this is an Annapurna mug that a friend of mine gave me yeah, instead of giving me a deal. Right, instead of giving you a great Annapurna deal, um, this yeah. is someone who worked at the company. Exactly. Now, how did you get a meeting there? Is it through an agent or a manager or just someone had seen your films? No, that was actually a friend of mine worked there or it still oh. works there. Uh, yeah. Right. So you didn't even have a meeting. It literally your friend just we, came. No, we did have a meeting, but it was kind of like I visited her at her work, like a kid coming in to see uh, an adult's life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th that life is pretty funny. I've been in that office a couple of times and they have that wall that's like filled with VHSs, filled with video cassettes. Yeah. And like the spines of the video cassettes, uh, you know, kind of form the logo of the company. Exactly. Yeah. That's pretty cool. cool. It's like a big A. And that's yeah. that was pretty cool. When I went there, I said, this is kind of a movie nerd's paradise. Uh, yeah. But then, of course, when they don't give you the deal, you change your tune and you say, this is a movie lover's hell. Yeah, well, at least they gave me a mug, so, you know, I can't... Well, look, after this them. show, after this <laughs> cast, they're going to come crawling, begging. Let's see, let's see. Let, let's see, let's see. Wow, so you're drinking multiple items. You're drink what's in the yes. mug? What's in the mug? Uh, the mug's coffee. Okay, and what's in the can? This is coconut LaCroix. Right, nice. LaCroix. You like, you like that coconut-flavored things? I mean, I love... I do. I like coconut like thing in itself, like a coconut or like you drink 
juice from the coconut. But I find when they coconut flavor things, now I don't want this to throw you off and I don't want this to fuck up the rest of your enjoyment of this can. And since you yeah. so confidently said that you do love that type of flavor, but it always reminds me of like suntan lotion or something. I feel like I'm drinking suntan lotion. Well, suntan lotion is all, but you know, it's purely positive memories for me. Oh, good. never yeah. had like a bad. Nice. Yeah. Wait, where yeah. did you, where did you grow up? Norway. So, um, like an hour outside of Oslo in a, a smaller town. Oh yeah. What's that um, called? <laughs> Sarpsborg. Yeah. Sarpsborg. And is yeah. your is your, is that spelled also like your name B O R G or B U R G? No, it's uh, B R. Yeah, G. Yeah, um, that, that's good. Oh my god, is my Wi Fi fucking up? Are you? I don't able- know. You see, you seem fine here. Yeah, good, good, good. Um, so and then did you like that Norway growing up there and all that? Yeah. I had a yeah great childhood. Uh, I feel like. Um, Do you like your parents and stuff? Supportive parents. No, no, yeah, no traumas. No, you know. Are nothing, they are, are are they artistic or what's their what's their vibe? Uh, well, my dad's a, a social anthropologist, um, uh-huh. and he was a professor. He just retired. My mom's also in the social uh, field um what is she does she post on instagram she posts some nice photos of their vacations and stuff yeah nice um and my dad was like part of a film club and and very both very interested in both literature and and movies and what's um, your earliest kind of like movie memory where you're like oh this is so fun or like oh this is interesting um I think maybe Alien was one uh, uh, an early uh-huh. one because I um, we had it on VHS and me and my friend saw it uh, without permission and right. my yeah and my friend had like heavy nightmares and my parents got scolded by his parents of like how could you let them watch Alien and I felt that you know the power of cinema. Yeah, yeah. So how old are yeah. you, like seven or something? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, I think that is actually a big part of it um, that really resonates with me. Like, I do feel like a really big part of my most formative film memories are like, I'm doing this without permission or like, should I really be seeing this right now? Wow, I can't believe I'm getting away with watching this dangerous slash evil thing. And I do think that's kind of, that's still a very inspirational, really the word formative is quite accurate. That's still a really inspirational uh, thought I have when trying to come up with a a movie, you know, to to give people that experience. I mean, especially young people, right? Because those are the most uh, open to art and to cinema and to music, right? Give them an experience. They feel like, like, should I really be allowed to see this? Like, oh crap. Oh my God, this is, this is amazing. This feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember my, um, my parents and my older brother having to shut the doors for the living room when they were watching something that I couldn't watch. And I remember right. like being in the kitchen, kind of listening, like, what is this movie? They're screaming. It's very exciting. And, and, uh, I guess it, yeah, just drew me more to wanting to see that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, do you like your older brother? 
Yeah. So he worked at a, a video store and he got me the same job. So wow. I started working at the video store and, and that's kind of where I uh, saw all the classics. We when had like wrote... 6,000 VHS uh, tapes there and, and I was just going through the history yeah. and learning, you know, my brother telling me what to watch and then starting to understand what a director was and that you can come back to the same director and kind of see a cohesive type vision and um, yeah that was uh, I guess my uh, education um what uh how old were you when you worked in the video store like 16 15 yeah 16 that's when I started and, and I got fired at <laughs> age 19 I think so three years you worked there and why why'd you yeah. get fired why'd you get fired the thing was like I hated having customers there yeah that's uh, customers I, yeah because they'll, they'll really I put know, a bummer on your job <laughs> yeah so I was watching movies because mm -hmm. they had like six uh uh screens. tv screens uh -huh. and there was one right next to the counter and I was watching movies and every time there was a customer I had to pause it and then wait till they find their movie and and so I started uh blasting like black metal music whenever there's customers to get them out sooner and there, yeah, that was like one of many tricks I did to just keep customers away. And, uh, and then I got fired. Black metal, that's kind of like a Norwegian thing, huh? Exactly, yeah, yeah. So you would chase the customers out of the store uh, <laughs> since they were extremely annoying. Um, and I was saying that's a type of trolling or it sounds, because I do um, admire your work partly because uh, you have a subversive sensibility that I think almost more than than any you know, so how old are you basically we're basically the same age ish i'm in my i'm in my 30s okay yeah yeah me too duh um <laughs> yeah milk that milk that baby <laughs> well no you must be a little you must be like a smidge older than me if it was all vhs's at your video store you guys didn't have dvds we did have dvds oh, okay, too, okay but uh but he he uh that collection of VHS was too big to get rid of, you know? Yeah. Was it organized by directors? No, it wasn't that fancy. It was by uh, the alphabet. Oh, the alphabet. Heard of it. Well, what was, yeah. the, what was the movie you remember at that period in your life, like being the most like influential and like, kind of, what was the movie you rewatched the most when you were like 16, 17? Uh, well, that's when I discovered David Lynch and I right. think that was just, yeah, a, a mystery that I could keep coming back to and try to figure out and, and just, um, yeah, that was, that was huge for me. Cause it, it, it's also like such a, um, you know, a tour vision, a very yeah. specific, um, yeah, yeah. It, it was so specific and so, uh, unique and, and, um, I just um, saw um, Lost Highway yesterday. Yeah. Because they did a one. 4K kind of restoration. Um, never been a really big fan of the film, but I think I'm finally on board as of yesterday because uh, just, you know, you, one thing that's undeniable about seeing a David Lynch film, especially if you're seeing it in a theater where you're just really immersed with no distraction, is when you walk out of that dark room, everything feels different. Like sounds feel different. Objects feel different. 
your experience of driving or talking to someone on the phone or whatever. These are all pretty specific to Lost Highway, but in general, <clears throat> I saw Inwin Empire about two months ago during that restoration in theater. Everything feels different and that is transformative. I mean, that's the only word for it, you know? You, you think it's the extra pixels in the restoration that did it? Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Both of these have been 4K restorations. It's probably not the Lynch of it all. It's probably the 4K of it all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually think a really big part of it is sound design. I mean, that's pretty obvious, but like, I think his commitment and control and um, just attention to the soundscape that he's creating and the sort of malleability, you know, like that that's actually also a place. Cause of course people, when they think of film are like, okay, I'm gonna like fuck around with like the visual realism or like the visual sort of like um, givens of naturalism. But um, yeah. he really digs deep into the ways in which he can subvert and um, take sound into completely unrealistic and completely psychologically um, surreal places. And that has a huge impact on, on your psyche and on your experience of a film. And uh, I think most other filmmakers, obviously everyone pays attention to sound. Everyone has an idea of how the rhythm and pace and sort of tone can be established by those things. But when you actually bring it into the, real, into the realm of the unreal and the surreal, then, then, then it yeah. really affects something deeper in your core, I think. Yeah, I, I feel like it's hard to pick apart the magic of, of David Lynch and look at like the technical aspects. I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't love the word holistic, but it is, does, uh, that, that's where the magic happens with him, I think. <laughs> no, I know, I, I, I agree with you on one level, but on another level, it has to be said that I've seen especially in the last 20 years, a lot of like auteurist quote unquote work and even people who are sort of contemporaneous with David Lynch attempting to do something that he does so expertly, especially in the, especially probably since Lost Highway in my opinion, but it's probably in all his work, which is create extremely powerful psychological and emotional effects out of decontextualized non-narrative scenes out of scenes where you're actually confused about the narrative flow and reality of the storytelling, um, but you are still completely immersed and gripped and you feel the effects that you might feel in a film that's working 90 minutes to arrive at an emotional peak or 50 minutes to arrive at a tonal sort of shock. He can do this within the parameters of one scene that, that might be completely decontextualized from the previous scene. And it has everything to do, I think, with technique, you know, with with the way that he edits and shoots and sound designs and all that stuff. I agree with you, whatever, we're not gonna fucking do that right now. But there is, <laughs> there is this kind of like uh, artistic sensibility coupled with a kind of mastery of um, cinematic technique that uh, is really, really special. So what was the first David Lynch movie you saw? Or the one that got you on It was screen? actually uh, Lost Highway. Yeah, because that had come out, like that was probably the most recent one that come out or something like that. Well, uh, Mulholland Drive came out when I was working at the video store. Got it. But um, I'm just yeah, trying to figure but... out your age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll keep doing, we got an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. So, so, okay, so you worked at the video store and then after that, what, you went to college or something? 
Um, I went to a Norwegian newly started kind of low tier film school and did okay. a year there and then and then it was like Norwegian out. version of like uh what what do they call that like Hollywood Film Academy or what's it called Los Los Angeles Film Academy <laughs> yeah maybe something like that just like a a, a complete money grab cash yeah. grab thing that that uh was horrible um uh-huh. uh, had you they, already they started have, like, some... had you already started like editing stuff or like shooting stuff like before yeah um i had a you know video camera and was fucking around also did like skateboard videos right. stuff like that so that's an entry point. got into the technique yeah exactly i feel like i have a very like california uh <laughs> way into movies with like skateboarding working at a video store it's like very like spike john's tarantino yeah well hey you have, in, the, in you have that spike Northern. jones tarantino arc going buddy you got the great yeah, art. Yeah, exactly. Because, because, yeah. well, didn't you? So, after, so you did the school for a little bit, and then did you start making commercials like your hero, Spike Jones? No, so, no, it was music videos first. Oh, got it. So yeah. that is like your hero, like, Spike Jones. Uh, he was definitely a person to look to, like how to how to do it. How to have a career, uh, or or how to just yeah, or yeah, how to do how to have a career and how to do like the the stepping stones getting you to a feature because you know as a as a kid uh trying to understand the format via features is just too much and and so you know cutting my teeth on music videos and shorter formats when you say trying uh, to understand the format you mean trying to understand how to shoot something how to work with performers how to edit all that stuff it's like imagine yeah, you just so, you dove know, in and said i'm gonna make a feature film that. exactly like you can learn how to play a guitar on your own but you can't learn how to make a movie on your own um so you got to have permission and money and people around you that either are paid to believe in it or actually believe in it and uh um yeah it, there's no way you can just or at least for me there was no way i could just learn how to do a feature first like it had to be shorter formats yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have gone the whole Kevin Smith clerks route or, yeah. Oh, well, I was like writing my screenplays in, yes. uh, in my mom's basement and yeah. uh, trying to do exactly that and, and could never figure it out. Do you remember what the first screenplay was that you were writing as a teenager? I mean, this is like a comically embarrassing shit. I remember, you know, the sort of stuff I was writing and then I actually did try to make a feature when I was like, I think 17. And it did not go well at all. It was a real disaster. You know what? This this might sound ridiculous, but I was writing about me working at the video store until somebody told me that there's a movie called Clerks. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And then you saw that and you're like, I'm not going to fucking make a movie about working at the video store. Exactly. But those Already scenes in the done. video store are really funny in Clerks. Yeah, and I there was a lot of funny bits uh, from working at the video store too. But, uh, was there some sort of Norwegian filmmaker that you were able to see um, coming up, or who had some success that you were like, "Oh, this is like my guy too"? Or is well, really there wasn't. There wasn't until I saw Reprise, the Joachim Trier uh-huh. film. That was like two thousand 
when was that? 2005 or something? 2005, um, yep. Uh, or four. Or I was our four or five. I remember seeing it freshman year of college. So I think four. Yeah. Four. Yeah. Well, that was, um, that like shattered the glass ceiling of what a Norwegian movie could be, I feel like. And, and that was, I think that was very important for me to see uh, and to be motivated uh, by that, by the envy. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Because the film is about two friends who are uh, kind of jealously kind of competing with each other for, uh, what is it, literary fame? They're both writers or something? Yeah, but, but I'm talking envy in terms of like, <laughs> wow, this guy fucking did it. No, no, I get it. But also it's interesting because those are the thematics of the film. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you hung out with that guy since? Then? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, I think we can call each other friends. Yeah, he's a nice, is he a nice guy? Yeah, he's, he's, he's a, like a, a, a super gentleman, super nice, very nice guy. So what happened? Like in between when our phone call fell apart, you switched your coffee from Annapurna mug to a can mug because you're now drinking from a festival to can mug. That is true. That is true. I don't know how that happened. What do you mean you don't know how it happened? You did it, you son of a gun. Um, okay, okay. So he's a nice guy. Good. I'm glad we have that on the record. Um, okay. So then you're doing the skate videos. Then you said, okay, I got to do some some music videos. And so just for everyone listening who you know is also director trying to make stuff, um, did you just basically have friends who were in bands and you said, hey, can I make a video for you? Or did you try? Or you go went through an agency? Or what was that like? Uh, this is yeah this is another weird point where there was uh, a, a public competition about uh, directing a guy's music video you sent your submissions and there was like a public vote and i was like trying to hack the vote yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i mean you did and, a good uh, job was, on the submission right you didn't like phone in the yeah. submission you're like you thought a while you said this is the concept did they did was the song yeah, yeah. known did everyone know what the song was or no yeah, the song was out and and it was like a public pitch to to make a video. And I think this is like the year that the YouTube uh, was like a thing. And so they saw like, oh, all, you know, OK Go and all this. Yeah, like, yeah, OK you know, Go, high concept make... music videos. <laughs> high concept, low budget. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was my first music video. So and, did you actually um, hack the voting system or was your concept just so undeniable? I guess like my hacking was like getting my mom to just constantly be on it and tell all of her <laughs> friends to keep voting. <laughs> it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a deep web, like actual hacking. Yeah. Yeah. Your mom was the hack. Yeah. Got it. And yeah. your mom is, but actually your mom is super popular. So it worked. It did work. Yes. He's got a lot of friends. Yeah, yeah. So then you did this high concept bid, which was like, uh, you know, putting the guy on um, a treadmill and then putting him on a harness. And then he's going on the treadmill, but using his hands. Exactly. Like a reworking of a classic <laughs> video. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, that's funny. I love I love when someone wins a competition. That's cool. And yeah, so, and then no, that, it's so strange. So was that weird? Being, so did you have like a crew and like, a, you know, a cinematographer and a production designer and a costume designer? It, no, because like the, the, the whole thing was like the budget was so low that was yeah. like, you figure it out. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So did it go viral? 
didn't really go viral, but there was like, they had arranged for like press to be there on the shoot. And so there was like photos of me in the newspaper, like directing. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I felt like, it felt, suddenly felt like, oh, I'm a director now. Right, so you um, got your little taste and then what happened next? Well, and then I just kept grinding, you know, oh, hustling, doing music videos, grind. yeah. hustling, grinding. And then, uh, yeah, just kept, kept up with the the short formats i guess um did and you try to, making some did you try to put like uh was it so in your approach to music videos was it mostly kind of like okay this is an opportunity for me to tease out like a kind of visual or editorial concept i have or was it like oh i'm gonna try to use this to figure out storytelling or was it kind of like at super different each time like did you approach it as like each video is a piece of art or this is like an exercise for me or What's your mentality? I, I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't have the, um, the, the, you know, the utility wasn't how can I get better? It was to make the video itself. It was a piece of art. I was trying to make this thing the best thing that I've ever made. Um, so it, it wasn't about like practicing. It was about really doing it. Um, and um they were, you know, they were not good in the in the beginning, and then you know, slowly I started catching some things where I'm like, oh, this is I actually like this. Uh, I'm doing something that I can enjoy myself, and I think it was moving away from the YouTube low budge, high concept thing into more cinematic stuff that where I felt that I was doing something right. And when you say cinematic stuff, what do you mean? You mean visuals? What do you mean? Well, the, yeah, the, the music videos didn't have performance in them. They were about somewhat narrative, more in the, in the cinematic way of, of uh, shooting something, characters, a bit of a story. Um, so that's what you and, mean by you know, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then how do you make the leap from um music videos which basically is like by the time we got involved with it was sort of like a social media format and thus a format that had been democratized and that's a format that had unless you're working with the biggest artists in the world not that much money behind it into um commercials because right is that the next sort of thing that you did yeah um i did this um music video that was actually a short film mm -hmm. uh, the short film got cut down to a music video they both like live a life simultaneously it was called what everest um and the music video version of it was for todd turge inspector norris it was like a kind of a, a club hit uh-huh um did you do a lot and of clubbing it, back then? Were you going to clubs all the time and sort of dancing, sweating with the Molly, uh, sort of like finding romantic partners? Was this a big part of your lifestyle back then? Well, uh, you know, I was a part of what they now label indie sleaze. Oh, indie uh, sleaze. You were one of the uh, kind of big practitioners. Yeah, I, I, I was, um, I, I uh, dipped my toe in the, in the sleaze world. How would you define Then was just called hipster. Yeah, hipster. Exactly. So the yeah. way you would define indie sleaze is called hipster. It's just, you know, neologisms, new terms is, is very cool. I, I honestly, but, you know, it's the, just the Scandinavian countries, of which Norway is one of them, 
was be besides like Williamsburg, Brooklyn, probably one of the key practitioners of the hipster craze, the hipster sort of movement, if you will. Huh, that I haven't I haven't like looked at it from from the bird's eye perspective. I was like very much well a lot of the it. like a lot of like the post strokes bands, you know, there were a bunch that hit from like uh definitely Sweden. Then you had a brand that was very popular called the Cheap Mondays. Do you remember that? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. The skinny jeans. The skinny jeans. These were the kind of like definitive skinny jeans that you wanted to get if you were a hipster. And I believe they're also from Sweden. Um, yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you were at the core of, of indie, of what they now call indie sleaze. Um, so you probably were not out nightclubbing, yet you made this nightclubbing video hit. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, it, it did, it, it was like, got a couple of million hits or whatever. And cool brands were like can you do this but for a fucking playstation game ad you know like just applying whatever was working to any type of brand and uh there was opportunities to do ads for a little bit um and and so i did like i, I made probably like for three or four years or something that was what i did i just made money from from ads did you have um, to negotiate um, any sort of interior conflict? Like um, one, I don't want to repeat this thing that I've already done that's been successful. Two, I don't agree with like the meaning of this product. Is any of that shit crossing your mind? And if so, like how do yeah, you deal with that? Yeah, a lot. I got a very complicated relationship with, uh, with advertising. And um, yeah, I've, I've never... I was never comfortable doing any ads. It always felt a little bit dirty. Yeah. Um, well, look, and, let's be real. You, but, people need money to fucking survive. So I don't want to, exactly. I don't want to shit on the thing. I just curious, like, cause you know, it, it, you do have to negotiate these sort of like, um, uh, okay, I have a quote unquote moral code, whether it's aesthetic or philosophical or socioeconomic, whatever. And on the other hand, it's like, oh, I need to be able to like pay rent or eat food. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, there was there was certain limits with, say, fast food or things that just like felt like this is just making the world worse. Um, but, you know, I, I did shitty ads. I, I, uh, I was so frustrated and and I was rationalizing everything. I'm like, you then make money where you can then go and create your art. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was. I was never interested in having like an, a commercial career, advertising career. It was yeah, just yeah. a means to end. Yeah. It's funny to say that because there are people like that who are like, I want to be like great commercial director. Like I want to, the commercials. Like I'm gonna fucking take over, bro. Yeah. No. It's it's like being a painter back in the day who just painted portraits of of the royal families. Yeah. Uh, it's not art. It's a job. It's, I don't know. It's, um, yeah. Would you say it, it was... does, it does, it, it just changes the meaning of what you're doing. So you're, uh, if you're, if you're building something, if you're, if you're a, a person who knows, uh, landscaping and you're, uh, 
building something that resembles a park if, if it is a park or if it is the the lawn outside of a mcdonald's like the job itself is very similar it can be the exact same thing but the meaning of what you're doing is very different when you're building a nice uh setting for a mcdonald's versus a park which isn't supposed to make money it's supposed to give a, a, a bit of, bit of a breathing room or shade for people uh and um that's something that I think of like, cause it can feel like you're making art when you're making ads. Right. That's uh, the trick, it, right? That's, that's yeah. the way that the devil tempts you. It's like, I'm going to yeah. approach this, like this quote unquote medium that is used for just shilling like shit um, with like the, the, the form of high art sensibility, which is like, you know, your prerogative, but then the second part is like, ha, I did it. I'm an artist. That's like where you're like really fooling yourself and allowing the devil to yeah. take over. Yeah, there's there's some there's some argument to be said of like the 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 better the, the ad is, the the worse of a person you are, or the the bigger <laughs> kind of of an atrocity it is. So you um, made some good ads, I heard, no? <laughs> um I made sure to make them kind of shitty. Nah, nah, nah. I'm sure you uh, did it. When you said though that it was very frustrating, did you mean that it was frustrating working with certain clients? Like you had certain concepts, then you then had to compromise because like people didn't get it? Or did you just mean like what we were talking about earlier, the kind of like moral quandary of it? I think, yeah, no, well, that too, but also you feel suddenly intrinsically motivated to do something like the the ad has an opportunity to do something that you're actually excited about and yep. you start feeling like this is your thing and it belongs to you and you suddenly have a ownership and vision and then it's like no you gotta like the product is what you're doing here and then you have this frustrating push and pull where it's like you you've been lured in by the prospect of creating art and then you're stuck shooting a product in 40 different ways yeah um yeah yeah i can feel that i mean actually i, I um you could really feel that um in your first feature film which is i think a really brilliant sort of uh i guess critique satire deconstruction of uh partly the advertising world i mean largely i think right branding and, and drib right what do we call that yeah uh drib yes it's drib. a docu-fiction hybrid experimental project that you know even i had a uh i struggled wrapping my head around um it's highly conceptual yeah, yeah so the the film is a reenactment of something that happened in the advertising industry, Which but is? the reality is it didn't really happen. It's all. Fiction. Oh, it didn't even happen. So this is again, like a troll. <laughs> so like I've seen the film. I, I, especially that element of the film, I'm such a huge fan of which is, I mean, it goes off in a bunch of different directions, but like this sort of initial presentation is like, there's a guy, he's your protagonist. And it kind of like foregrounds the fact that like, hey, like want to see this crazy fucked up thing that like I did that kind of that I fucked around with these like brands or whatever. And um, but now you're telling me that this isn't even a reenactment. It's all just fake. So I got I got yeah, exactly. punked. You Ashton Kutcher <laughs> me. Yeah, no, it was. Um, uh, 
the Norwegian uh, Film Institute is the sole funder of this thing, and they have uh, checkpoints on um, like, is it eligible for a grant? And it has to check all these boxes of like, it's Norwegian language, it's with Norwegian people, it takes place in Norway. And you gotta like make three out of four of those boxes. And um, the thing that we said is like, this really happened in LA, like we have to do it there so that it's like um, historically accurate and authentic. And so they made an exception because it was, oh, I guess it was a real story that happened over there. And um, I, I guess um, that's that's how we got it made as as a supposedly real story, and that so, we had to like. So this is very interesting. So I, I think about this all the time. So you're telling me that the actual super high concept element of this. this so basically, you have a desire. I want to make this movie in LA for it's going to be more interesting. It's going to raise the production value. It feels like the right sort of epicenter for making fun of the commercial, like youth cool, youthful commercial industry. Um, but in order to get the funding from the Norwegian Film Institute to shoot in LA, you actually had to like come up with this scheme to convince them that this is based on a true story. And so yeah. the element of it being based on something that actually happened was created by you and your team merely to, for logistical purposes, to attain the funds to shoot in LA. Is that right? Sort of that, but also the, the fact that it- uh, I just that, like it when high concept that, shit comes from kind of logistical, practical, financial type of concerns. I think that is such a driving force in the history of innovation in cinema and people having all yeah. sorts of really radical ideas, not because, oh, like they came up with this radical idea sitting in front, on a, like in front of a like typewriter or a computer or whatever, but actually because like the only way to fucking make this thing the way I want to make it is I have to come up with this like new, this like very subversive and radical concept. Well, it was not to disappoint you, but it was like <laughs> both the, the sitting in front of the typewriter and the, the practical thing. But it was the idea was, you know, that we're making a, a, a project that is about media man manipulation. Uh, and I wanted the film itself to manipulate you and, and you experienced that. Like, I didn't want to just tell you about it. I wanted the film itself to be an experience of it. Um, and so that's why, like, you know, making sure that the audience believes that this is a true story that happened. And then there's a lot of hints, maybe not a lot, uh, but there's hints that, you know, maybe this guy, Amir, is making it up, or maybe the filmmakers are all making it up. Um, and so who, but, who, but is, did, who is Amir? He is um, the protagonist in the film who's like pseudo playing himself. Right. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and he is someone that you cast or he's a friend, like he's someone that you found through casting yeah, he, or he's a friend of yours? Or? He's a friend of mine that I got introduced to on a different project. He was a sort of conceptual comedian who went to art school, then pivoted to uh, comedy and has been doing things that are kind of somewhere in the middle, which this project also felt like uh, it fit that. But, but the whole thing started with me being obsessed with worldstarhiphop.com 
and uh -huh. how uh, how things went like very radically viral from kind of disgusting content, a lot of violence. And I just felt that it would be funny if we somehow landed on the front page of world star hip hop as like Norwegian people. And so me and him went out and made a video where he tries to pick a fight with this bodybuilder doorman uh, and then gets heavily knocked out and uh, and that did land on on the front page of world star but you guys staged like, the, you guys staged the whole thing obviously right? yeah we staged yeah. the fight it's not a real fight right. uh, but it looks real it's shot on an iphone and um and it, it it got like um yeah millions of views and it kind of that that's what started the project like what could happen next oh of course some advertising people are going to see this and then try to translate whatever was working there into the commercial sphere which is then again like this analogous to my experience of making like a cool music video and then having uh an attempt at co-opting that through uh, advertising culture and then yeah. me also you know going to LA and being dragged into these things uh, uh, the process of making an ad out there so you know the movie was sort of a way for me to talk about stuff that I had experienced in advertising and in LA yeah yeah exactly um, what what was your first impression of LA I mean it's obviously it's there in the film but just like kind of like when you yeah yeah, no, my first impression was really, uh, was bad, uh, but it was also because of the, the advertising people housing me up and on the like Venice beach and, and having meetings just at the Soho house and, and just like, I didn't see anything that I liked at all. Uh, and I kind You're of telling me you don't like I, Ven you don't like Venice Beach with all the cool uh, edibles <laughs> and Bob Marley shirts and like uh, a home homeless uh, sort of uh, maniacs running up to you and giving you a big kiss on the cheek and giving you a big slap in the ass. It, it, I guess it was fun the first day and then I got like tired of it and 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 that combined with with going from office to office and, and getting like um, enveloped in, in the way that people speak out here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, especially in the industry, uh, mm -hmm. quote unquote. Mm -hmm. um, and it was frustrating. Uh, and um, I felt that I needed to, to lament. And I think Dreb was yeah. my lament. Well, of course, uh, at a certain point, you discovered the indie sleaze part of town, the east side of LA, and you realized how fucking cool it could be and all the great friends you made and along the way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also like a big reason is Norway has um, ridiculously bleak, cold, dark winters. And I realized by being here, over the that project which had me out here from like december to whatever march or something i realized that i can be happy during winter if i'm just like not in norway and uh that's what pushed me to move actually yeah and so now you consider yourself a full-fledged angelina is that correct no i, I do not no i don't okay. think i can ever be an angelina uh, but so, I, do, I do enjoy the city so what were your big um 
were you scared going into shooting the first film or were you kind of already ready because you had done such you no, no, commercial? The, the, no, th- this project was so weird, even to me, you know, the, the, all the layers of, of, you know, lies and the strange uh, packaging of the project of like, this is a reenactment. We're going to have both documentary elements and fiction elements and, um, and it being so niche and strange, I felt like I was doing a big mistake. And I was you didn't feel like you were doing something something super like subversive and punk and high co- like you didn't think it was gonna like be like wow people are gonna have their fucking minds blown by this and like it's actually gonna be like really like a big hit <laughs> no i i felt like um i felt so uh uneasy about the whole project that i was considering and i discussed this with with my friends and everything uh, considering giving the money back to the government <clears throat> and not but, having to do it but i don't understand because um like whatever who of us has made a perfect film like uh, whatever but it felt like i mean i could really sense your spirit in the film and it has so many ideas it definitely feels like a very strong debut film in that like someone is just trying to jam so many different observations and ideas and um concepts that they've had over you know how first film feels like, oh, like all my ideas are in this, you know, about performance and about, you know, interpersonal sort of like situations that are comical, but also like really get to the core of a certain vibe. I mean, I, uh, I don't think, I I mean, I don't know how you feel about it now, but uh, I I guess you do what you just felt it was too like artsy or something, or like, didn't you feel like a movie to you? I mean, what is a movie, you know? Like that's that's a different type of question, but what is a fucking movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I I think like if you're being very generous, you could compare it to like a long episode of Nathan For You or something. Yeah, but Uh, doesn't it predate that or no? It predates that. Yeah, I hadn't hadn't seen it, but I I remember people telling me either when I was editing or when I was that I should watch the show because it's like it's similar I'm like I do not want to watch it if it's similar yeah exactly um but I have since since then like I demoted uh downgraded it you know the same way that they did with Pluto that used to be a planet now it's a dwarf planet like I don't see it as my first feature oh like you're revising the narrative my, yes you're revising yeah, exactly. the narrative your debut feature is the one that just premiered at Cannes in uncertain yes. regard yeah because, uh that's well, that's too bad I, i'm a drip fan so but it's okay i get it it's it's just like it doesn't feel like it's not a feature i mean it's the length of a feature but it's so such an experimental project that it's like hard to if you were a random, if you were a random kid you know in the middle of nowhere you had no idea what david lynch was and you made a movie that was like a david lynch movie and you could ask yourself oh, i guess this isn't like a normal movie like this probably isn't a movie this is just an art project or something but it is a fucking yeah. movie you know whatever honestly it's a movie if you call it if it's a it's a debut feature if you want to call it one and if you just want to call it like my high concept like project by Christopher <laughs> Wardley. You can call it my concept, pro- high concept project. Um, hello, hello. Hello. Now, now, one last thing about Drib, and then we can move on. Um, not to grill you about this, but do you think <laughs> that if the um, 
reception of Drib, you know, when it came out was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing. Like, and it, you know, and an A24 released it and uh, it won uh, Indie Spirit Award and all this stuff. You would say, oh, this is my debut film. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. <laughs> so that was like around what, 2015, 16, something like that? Yeah, we, yeah, uh, 2015, I think I got the grant and then it was shot like, between 2015 and 2016 over that winter yeah. yeah great great little performance there from annie hamilton exactly that's where i met annie yeah yeah the great annie um although there's a lot of good performers um in that movie um so then brett, uh, brett gelman is in it from uh stranger things fame right brett gelman the famous stranger things um uh person um wow uh but actually annie is I think how we met. So got to yeah. give it up for Aiden yeah. Hamilton, uh, merely as a connector, not just as a kind of comedic and uh, emotional force of nature. Yeah, no, thanks for the connect. Yeah, the big connect. She's a, what we call a big connector. Um, so so then you're done with that. Uh, what I guess now I'm understanding to be a highly traumatic experience. Um, and you're thinking, here's my next screenplay. I'm ready to go. Or you're thinking, I need to take a step back and make a bunch of shorts and, and commercials. Um, I, well, I, I did have to do some rather shitty commercials <laughs> right off the bat because I was broke. Yeah. Because yeah, um, yeah. how long did it take you to make the movie? Like a year? I guess, yeah. I guess I was like fully committed for something like a year. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really hard um, to take jobs. And is it's, you know, it's you probably got decent funding by like American it's, super indie standards, but like no, you, no, no, no. This was like a low budget, even for the Norwegian film institute. Oh, got um, it, got so, it. Yeah, yeah, we were we were scraping shit together. <laughs> hey, you know, it looks really good. I think all, all like the slickness that you must have sort of just gotten through osmosis working on these commercials. Yeah. um shines through on the film who was your dp on that that was a norwegian uh guy uh howard he's um a guy that i when i started doing music videos that i actually liked he was the guy he was the uh, guy so he, oh it'd be cool to work yeah. with that guy or you just started working with him right away that, yeah we we had a meeting and we just saw eye to eye on some stuff and so the, the, the music videos that I started liking, he was the one who shot them. So nice. Uh, we, we had a bit of a um, partnership for some years. Yeah, cool. Uh, and then that fell apart, like uh, because of a, uh, you know, romance and uh, money and the whole thing where he won the lottery and then you hit him up exactly. for a milli, a million. Yeah. What do they call it? Norwegian dingbats? Uh, they're called kroners. Yeah, yeah, Norwegian kroners. That's right. Um, okay, okay. So then you needed to make some commercials to, you know, be able to whatever, pay rent, pay what all your debts, all your... Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and then also realizing that I want to now move to LA to get away from the winter. And, um, and I, I did. And uh, once I was out here, I 
I was pretty broke. I didn't have much to do. And I uh, had some ideas of what I wanted to write. And then I just sent another application to the Norwegian Film Institute with a new movie idea and uh, got funding for the writing process, which isn't a lot of money, but it carried me through like the, the early stages of me living out here in LA. Uh-huh. And were you actually um, not writing? Was it a huge lie to the Norwegian Film Institute? You're like, no, this was, is going to pay my rent. Yeah, no, I was actually writing because you have to deliver uh, a draft by a certain date. And then yeah. they, yeah. So, but, but they fund like three drafts, give you notes, but it's like the it, bureaucracy. So it takes, you, you deliver a draft and then like four months later, there are some notes. And So what are the notes yeah. like from a, a publicly funded governmental film fund in Europe? Like, cause obviously I know what notes are like from execs in like the American film industry, but what are the notes like from there? And mostly um, kind of film book uh, story elements, uh, drama. Uh, okay. Structure. So it's, it's shit yeah. like that. It is, has something to do with like the commercial sort of like traditional viability of this project. And it's not like, hey, you're not allowed, this is a Norwegian product. So you're not allowed to say this nasty thing about no, the no, prime no. minister or something. No, 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 nothing like that. No, like propaganda. It's it's um, nefarious, very just your, your film school type notes, I would say. Okay, and so then it's almost like having like execs within the government bureaucracy and then yeah and, but they're not but they're not concerned about it having to be commercially viable it's more that it should be good art but then how do, but do they have a good take on that like are they what are they driven by i mean they're just driven by okay let's say they want to make a good art then they're driven by their definition of what good art is and what if it's different from yours i know it's like you, the you're uh, appointed one consultant so it's like one person who just and so whatever that person's taste is, <laughs> what yeah. you're dealing with. And you don't have to take the notes. It's not like if you deliver a next draft and that character's still there. I told you I hated that character. It's like not going to matter. It's like, okay, you do you. These okay, cool. So that's, that's pretty yeah. good. I mean, I think yeah. that it's, it's totally fine to be within the spirit of collaboration, even if you don't see eye to eye with the person giving you notes. But you know what? I'll try this because who knows, maybe they don't get why they don't like this character, but maybe there's something I can do to like make it more interesting for me and it'll also make it whatever better for them. I, I'm, I'm in that spirit sometimes when yeah. collaborating. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So you're writing, and this is what you're writing sick of myself. Exactly. Um, and that started in like 2017. So it's wow. a while back. Yeah. So the drafts kept progressing and uh, as I said like bureaucracy it takes time and there's like suddenly there's four months of me waiting for feedback and am I going to get paid for another draft etc and so I start filling my time with with uh, yeah shorts and mm -hmm. other projects that I can do out here so you know since landing in LA around 2017 I have done three or four shorts or something like that. Um, and um, would, I would say even five. Is that true? Because if yeah, possible, that you've done five. Be, it might be true. It might be true. I don't know. Um, and uh, that's been great. It's, it's, I think, just coming off of an 
heavily anxiety inducing process with drip not knowing what the project is not you know feeling that i got a grasp of things and starting to look at you know for instance like what was working with the format like what did i actually like there's some elements in there that i still like the you know the baby in the bathwater uh and so i decided to make what does that, that mean for, what does that, that mean the, the baby in the bathwater the baby in the bath, you know, you don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right, the don't bath throw the baby out with the bathwater because you could get rid of all that bathwater, which is dirty yeah. and has been bathed in. But don't yeah. for, don't forget, there's a baby in there, and that baby there's we a value, baby in there. Yeah, we value that. And baby. The, yeah, and so there was a baby in there, but there was a lot of bathwater, and uh, and making that short. Former cult member hears music for the first time was an attempt for me to do right, like finding the baby in that format, this like sort of docu-fiction hybrid, the kind of like, it starts manipulating you to think it's one format, it changes. And uh, and I felt like uh, that one was like, oh, I like this, this feels good. I'm, I'm happy with this. Uh, and, and I feel like making those shorts was for me important to like build confidence and that I still, you know, I still have it or I still have something that's working. Yeah, it was it also uh, like opportunity to work with actors and stuff, like in a kind of less I mean, less meta conceptual way, or or maybe more. I don't know. I mean, there's always a bunch of other good reasons to make uh, art or movies, uh, but first and foremost, it's about the the, the art itself, and so yeah. that was my key motivator. Was just yeah. Let me ask you, what do you? Um... Cause I'm really interested in this too. And, and I can feel through your films and what you're talking about right now. You are so like tone shifting, right? Like someone's watching a film, they think it's headed in one direction and you completely change the tone or the rhythm or the kind of delivery of information and delivery of scenes. Um, yeah. Why do you, why, what, what's interesting to you about that tone shifting? I think I, it's just, uh, um, you know, as the government calls it, like perception management, <laughs> uh, that because you, you know, movies set up a contract with their audience in the beginning of it. Like, you know, if this is um, a vampire movie, don't be alarmed if there's a vampire there because it's supposed to be there. Uh, but if you set up a contract that says, like, this is uh, you know, uh, uh, drama, normal life, and there's suddenly a vampire, that that's very unexpected and it does the thing that it's supposed to do which is to be surprising um and so i think that's the 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 thing that i like is that we've gotten so used to what movies can and should do and then Quote playing unquote, with those yeah yeah and then playing with the expectations is, is just a way to to you know to do the thing that once upon a time what train going towards the lens would have the audience you know jump out of the way because they're yeah. thinking it's going to hit them that's not going to happen anymore yeah but there's other ways of getting that kind of reaction out of people which then has to do with playing into you're so used to this format you're so used to what's going to happen you know you already kind of know so i'm i'm going to do something different yeah. Are there any um, yeah. filmmakers that you like that you think uh, are, are very skilled at that or tend to do it well? I have a few I have a few in my mind that <clears throat> I like, like I think Takeshi Miike. I don't know if you've seen yeah. his movies. 
but he yeah. tends to do that. I think on a certain level, like Lars von Trier can be yeah. quite good at that. I think uh, there's a filmmaker who has last few movies I haven't exactly loved, but there are these two movies he made, um, Arnaud de Plachon, you know him, he made Kings and Queen and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A Christmas my Tale. Sex Life. Yeah, exactly, My Sex Life. But I think those movies, Kings and Queen and A Christmas Tale, they have these amazing tonal shifts where at some point it's, you know, family melodrama turns into absurdist comedy, turns into like something, wait, something kind of horror creepy is around the corner. He kind of has yeah. a certain thing where he can just zoot point like for one and a half minutes into like a Lynchian sort of like yeah. sound design yeah. camera around the corner, like darkness in a room thing. You're like, what the fuck is going on? And then it just goes back to like kind of like, just like family melodrama stuff. So- um, yeah. No, I, I, I gotta say like Arnold Desplashan, like uh, I, whenever I'm- stuck writing like I just pop on one of the really? movies and yeah. Get, yeah yeah uh and uh his movie my sex life uh uh -huh. from like when is this 96 yeah yeah um, late 90s I, I've seen it probably 10 times and it's I feel like I owe that movie a lot um interesting and yeah so that was our reference that movie for sick of myself in terms of the the visual the visual aspect, how he shoots this like early thirties, uh, young kind of academic hipsters. Yeah, milieu, yeah, yeah. Milieu bumping around in Paris, being cool, being at parties in a way that's like, you know, like say Euphoria is filmed from the teenager's perspective. It's like using their language to 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 tell a story and with uh my sex i feel like he's using a more mature and adult cinematic language to capture something more youthful and the combination was was very interesting to me and that's what i wanted to do with sick of myself i wanted to have like a younger kind of hip milieu but then tell the story from a bit of like an outsider perspective or like a more classic cinematic language that uh -huh. made it more timeless because it's very zeitgeisty in many ways and it's then, super zeitgeisty but shooting it in a classical way made it i feel like the combination of zeitgeist and timelessness was important to me yeah yeah you can really feel what you're talking about it's just funny to think so like i do think i i, I really love the movie and um definitely felt like it was one of the best movies i saw at can this year and um, and I one thing I loved about it is that there are so few movies that we can see that like truly are perceptive about contemporary life and make fun of like real behavior, whether it's clout chasing or virtue signaling or like the way that like, you know, um, people's trauma or marginalization is capitalized on by the fashion industry or by other sort of cultural industries and stuff like your perception. I mean, you could once in a while find like a, a movie or TV show trying to talk about or trying to like touch on these issues, but all they're doing is touching. You're like doing surgery. You know what I mean? They're just yeah, poking yeah. at the skin. You're doing invasive, like scalpel, please, like type stuff. And, and it, it, it should be fucking celebrated and people should be even like a movie that probably your movie will be compared to um, worst person in the world or whatever. Like your movie's way more perceptive about like, you know, just contemporary 
life in a way. And maybe it's an age thing, maybe because we're the same age, we've experienced these things in, in a slightly more like in the weeds sort of way than like, you know, yeah, yeah. Yahim Trier the, or something. The, more of a, you know, me being in my 30s and all, you know, it's, yeah, more, yeah. Of an it's, a, it's more 30s perspective. perspective. It's more 30s perspective on the 30s than a 40s perspective <laughs> on the 30s, if you know what I mean. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but what's funny is you say you want it to be a classic and, and it's, you, you mean sort of in the mise-en-scene and in the sort of like, just delivery system, dogs are aesthetic delivery system. But the first scene in the movie is literally the characters who are like, um, I don't want to call them trolls, but you know, they are um, almost anti-heroes, right? Uh, yeah. I don't think that's unfair to say, are no, like no. in like a like a Michelin like restaurant style setting and they're ordering wine and it actually I can, I'm just laughing at you a little bit because he's like I want to make a classy movie about these anti-heroes and the first scene is <laughs> like just a super like bougie restaurant where they're being upscale and he's like this yeah. is going to tell the audience that this movie is a little bit of a battle between like classy and classless you know and, and yeah. it's, it's very yeah. it's very good it's very interesting you know yeah, it's it's uh, that's you know them being uh, uh, performative enjoyers of something that they've been denied or something, and that they're you know robbing, Robin Hooding it, stealing from the rich. And right for the first thirty seconds or so, you think you're watching douchey rich people, and then you realize it's like the perform the performance of being like a douchey rich person, and like to what end? And then you realize it's actually because they're douchey middle class or like struggling middle class people yeah and it's like yeah. it's like funny in that way and and um i mean it has a lot of interesting commentary about class and and everything everything there's a, there's a lot in there i mean i'm not we can't like really talk about the movie it's not out yet but blah this isn't like part of a promotional tour or whatever yeah. but i i am curious i guess what were your big so so you made the shorts um in the four years or three years preceding um, and that kind of everything you you kind of could take away from Drib, you then workshopped in these shorts. And so then going into the second feature or what you now call the first feature, um, <laughs> yeah. what, what was like kind of the mindset? Did you feel just confident? Like I'm already in uh, the train is running, baby. And like now it's time to go instead of going from New York to New Jersey, we're going from New York to Miami. You know what? Uh, being confident in this thing is, is it ever going to be? a hundred percent like there's always no so much doubt every and day the first shoot you know i made seven movies and stuff or even when you do like a music video or something like the first well in a movie it's like kind of like the first day the day before and the first day and then for a music video it's kind of like the day before and like the first five minutes kind of like, i don't know how to make a movie like wait what do you do with the camera again <laughs> you're like uh am i allowed to tell these actors like where to stand or do they just know what to do and i'll just shut up yeah that or even just from the more uh uh from the artist's perspective like am is this something that i should be doing should i make this movie am i saying something that i want to say or am i yes you know the doubt coming from just the 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 concept or the script itself, not necessarily the mechanics of filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's also a really important question that I think more people should ask themselves. I mean, if we do love this medium and um, and we do think of ourselves as filmmakers, you have to say to yourself, why am I making 
this movie? And also, why is this a movie at a moment in kind of like, you know, media cultural history where you have long form series and video games and everyone's just experience of a kind of like interactive agency with social media, you say to yourself, what are the possibilities and the strengths of cinema as a medium and like why am i telling this story or coming up with this you know uh, vision as a movie i think that's really if more people ask themselves that question i think we would have a lot more um radical cinema and also a lot more entertaining cinema like 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 those things are not mutually exclusive i think people would figure out ways to push forward the possibilities of the medium and also say like this is like a mass entertainment mass communication medium and it needs to be fucking captivating and gripping and transform people like those are the two kind of routes that uh, that you hopefully both that people would go down if they ask themselves more rigorously why am i making this movie yeah Yeah. well yeah but but the the question of why i think should be probably applied more to tv shows because tv shows often is uh, you know not I feel like films- They're making the TV shows because money, okay? Yeah, of course, but yeah, exactly. So a movie is somewhat of a generous medium because it's not stealing, you know, weeks out of your life. It's like, you know, a little experience and then you leave it and and you try to, at least me, like try to package that with with everything you want to say in in that amount of time where it's like, uh, one meal it's not like a subscription based yeah. system uh and the the tv thing is like uh it, it kind of often can uh just feel like you had an idea that should be a feature and then was like smeared thinly across multiple ten episodes hours, and yeah. Could, yeah and it's like in those 10 hours there's like one hour of actually things happening I, I'm, I'm with you 100%, but I almost say to you, why are you shocked, my friend? <laughs> like, like because, because the DNA of series, aka television, since the beginning of television, is to keep people coming back every week so that they can see that this has been presented by Ford or Crest. You know, TV was the original, the show's originally were presented by companies right that was the original commercial there wasn't a commercial between moments in the show there was just a your sponsor brings you this and now more from your sponsor and so the dna is to keep people coming back every week and now we're just in this weird situation where we no longer release things per week we release it all at once and so people watch their weekly allotment all in a day or two and it is like psychotic but that's just part of the dna of that storytelling to keep you plodding along with like nothing much happening one step forward two steps back in the plot that just is tv movies are like i think like are it should be in survival mode right now because of the popularity of all these other screen mediums movies just have this filmmakers have a responsibility to our medium to say we have to like this ha- like 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 whatever movie we make has to be an awesome cinematic experience or at least that's the sort of pressure i put on myself and i hope others do too of like this is more valuable going to see this movie affects me more than any of these other 
potential screen mediums. And it's because the filmmaker has like taken me for a transformative ride or they have shown me something that can only be shown me in 90 minutes where I don't participate in the agency of the narrative, you know? Yeah. And there's, there's, um, I, I rather would watch just new movies constantly than, than keep, you know, checking back in with, with a, a TV show because one of the exciting elements of a movie is that it's a brand new visual, you know, language, there's an idea, there's a concept. All of that in a TV show gets exposed in the first episode. From then on, it's just like, how does the, the script change? Yeah. And so you're not, you're not feeling a new, you're not, you're not given, you're not being given the gift of being exposed to a, a new language, say. Yeah. Also the sense of, you know, we can debate also like what is the utility of movies or art. Um, and one could be of a, a storytelling uh, perspective where, you, you know, a story, the, the, you know, an ancient story would be uh, um, if you touch that bush, you will get a rash don't uh -huh. touch that bush. And it's like the, the story, moral of the story is don't touch the bush. Right, didactic but you have to have an, yeah. yeah, but you have to have an ending to that story for it to then have a meaning. And TV shows, they don't necessarily even know what the ending is gonna be. So, so you know, uh, the, the idea of a, a, a story is everything happens for a reason. And then like the ending is kind of like the reason. It's like what uh, Kierkegaard said, like you can only live your life forwards but you can only understand it backwards and uh <clears throat> with a tv show it's like going from everything happens for a reason to just everything happens for a season there's we don't know why nice keep dude. checking in <laughs> exactly nice everything happens for a season good one um and um and then the other thing is like if so you know if if story is the utility of art or or movies, then it kind of corrupts that. And then also the sense of <clears throat> awe, of getting almost the experience of, of drugs where you're just like taken out of your realm of, of uh, how you see things, like your, your map of the world. And then you see a David Lynch film for the first time, you experience the sense of awe. That also yep. is like not yep. possible to keep doing with a TV show, I feel like. So it's like, it happens in the first, episode if you're you know lucky uh and then yeah. you're kind of repeating whatever you did so there's yeah. a couple of like what i would say good reasons for making movies or art that is taken out of the equation when it when decided that this is going to be a tv show now there is other utilities or the reasons for for a tv show that works that you maybe can't do in Movies, totally. But. So I don't, I don't mean to be fully shitting on a totally different medium. And I, that's not to say that there probably aren't great exceptions to the observations that you and I are making. Like I can think of a couple of shows that actually like approach um, each episode, maybe aesthetically differently or um, philosophically differently. And I actually, I'll just go back and I say, I think you're right. Much like, I, I think you're half right. I do think that every filmmaker should ask themselves, why am I making this a movie and why am I making a movie right now? But I agree with you that every uh, TV showrunner and TV 
you know, creator should also ask themselves, why am I making this a TV show? And what can I do with the TV medium that would, you know, further people's like viewing experience or like the potential of this medium? You know, I yeah. mean, most people who call themselves creative or artists should be asking themselves this question. Otherwise, then they're the process oriented people. You know, if you're process oriented, you're just doing it for like the joy and the, the pleasure of the thing for you. That's great. But I think most people, not most people, but I think the, 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 the power of creation should involve somehow the potential of the medium you're creating in, you know? Yeah. And then just, of course, on the other end of the spectrum, there's the, the crippling aspect of asking too many questions. Like, why am I doing this? You know, you, you, you then end up not doing anything at all. Uh, so that, that I hear that. I of, hear that, brother. <laughs> yeah yeah there there uh, definitely um, there is that yeah so how do you get over um being uh, uh the confidence crippling elements of this uh what do you what do you say what do you do you just kind of plow through it don't overthink it um watch a movie to be inspired right yeah do you like writing uh, I actually like writing. I used to hate it so much. Now how did you how it. did you learn to enjoy it? What was the transformation? <clears throat> um, <laughs> the first time I started enjoying it was that I coupled it with this is like Pavlovian conditioning. I coupled it with uh, riddling. <laughs> okay, good. Well, yeah. I, maybe so I, I like, should I, try. I, I gave myself a treat for writing. It's like this is the thing that you can only have if you're spending a full day of writing uh i'm sort of joking because it's of course not the only thing but i remember that being like i got so uh, uh like enthusiastic about writing because it was kind of because i could allow myself to do drugs yeah yeah <laughs> well hey if you have that sort of self-control then that's great um so <laughs> so what um so the movie's gonna come out right I just I just don't want to stop there that that's the only like there's multiple other ways that I've found uh, writing enjoyable but that I remember that you know no 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 I don't I, look I, I don't I'm not think, a drug addict okay I I get it that your story <laughs> is is basically half a joke um you drug addict so um what uh, so the movie's gonna come out um it has American distribution or no. So there, uh, it's. I think it might be a done deal now. It looks like okay. it's gonna get knock US on wood. Yeah, yeah. It looks like U.S. theatrical distribution, which is did great. You, did you shoot it during the lockdown during the pandemic? Twenty. Yeah. So the the we we got funding March twenty twenty. Wow. Okay, that's when it all yeah. kicked in in the West. Yeah. Yeah, and then I didn't go to Norway until April twenty twenty one. Oh wow. So there was a. a yeah, so there was a, a period there where we were forced to push the whole project. Did you revise the and, script at all during that year? Yeah, 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 multiple times. Yeah, cool. Well, then maybe um, it was a blessing in disguise. This whole COVID thing was probably just this huge blessing in disguise to make sick of myself just incrementally better. Well, when, when it happened, I was like, sick of myself, sickness. Are we going to want to watch this? I, I remember I had like a, a, a part in the script that was about this person who was wearing a face mask and she was talking about how she couldn't breathe air normal air anymore and she called normal people breathers yeah and i was like okay well, well that has to go like that's not funny anymore. i would have liked to see uh, that breathers yeah <laughs> normal people breathers. um 
but um yeah so it's it's we have a theatrical release in september in norway cool um, nice and then i think the rest of the world it's been sold to like multiple nice uh territories and countries and i think most people are looking at next year for 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 a release got it yeah. and then are you trying to make a new movie right now yes uh it looks like i'm going into production like in in the fall that's exciting that's cool yeah. yeah so that so that's really just in a couple of months so you have like your cast your crew everything's ready and so are you basically in like soft pre-production right now yeah we're in soft pre-pro um hiring department heads and and softly location scouting yeah got it and is this so and this is like an american production yeah yeah exactly. yeah and then what was that process like just pitching to a bunch of companies or they approached you and they said hey we really want to work with you do you have any scripts laying around or no it was uh it was me writing on spec um and then i partnered with uh lars knutson and ari aster uh-huh yeah um, what's their company called their square com square peg square peg yeah uh-huh and so they they and my agents yeah. that i had at the point just made a deal with they uh took it out to the market and we had like three offers cool um so when you say took it out to the market or is that mean they and you are pitching it or they literally just send an email that's like kind of like here's the package here's the director like let us know yeah something like that but with a sexy twist yeah yeah but it's not you're not it's not like an active pitch it's not like you're on a in person or on a zoom being like hey so my name's chris and here's the story no that i i don't think that would have gone well no it was just sending the script out and i guess coupled with my shorts yeah yeah uh yeah was that um, awesome being yeah. at can premiering your quote-unquote debut at can it was yeah the, the little bit of like ambivalent about it because there's some decadency or or some yes. kind of element out of that's like over the top and and yeah. weird but you know, I I will never feel as important again. I feel like unless I go back there, because you're being treated as royalty, having a movie there, and it just it it, it feels like uh, it, that felt good. And of course, can um, just the platform itself and how important it is to uh, the life of the movie is like totally. I'm so thankful. And uh, you know, I feel like a real filmmaker now. Hey, congratulations! And that's exactly why we had you on the show because you're officially a real filmmaker now so thanks for talking with us chris i'm i'm really hey happy. thanks for having me i really enjoyed our conversation and um i'm excited for people to see sick of myself and uh for what that reaction will be because i i hope people will have a strong kind of di dialogue with it because very perceptive yeah i hope so yeah it's um it, it, yeah we, we're not the film itself is not shy about you know, raising some issues. Yeah, yeah. And can people find Drib? I mean, your shorts are all around on Vimeo and stuff, right? Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I have a, a website, ChristopherBorg.com. I nice, think I have original. most of my yeah. stuff, yeah. And people can watch Drib, they can like through there. Oh, somehow. not on the, yeah, I guess like Amazon Prime has Drib. There you go. And we, yeah. and we all love Amazon. And so uh, with that, I will say uh, goodbye to you, Chris. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, so Thank you, the, Eugene. Uh, this is the part where me. you leave, and then I do a fun outro where I, uh, you know, say all these negative things about you.
No, no, All just, right. Well, I'm I'll just leave kidding. you to it. <laughs> okay. Bye. Thanks, Chris. Peace. Bye. Uh, well, that was Chris Borgley, and that was a lot of fun. If you keep watching them, we'll keep making them. This is Eugene Kalarenko for uh, Director's Commentary. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten.